listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. So let's jump into this whole thing on fasting. Um, I don't know how exactly to follow that video, um, to be honest. It's, uh, it's awesome. And it's a great way to kind of over-exaggerate what we do with fasting. Fasting is kind of a lost art in our culture because, again, and and I've said this a lot over the last six months, but it's true, we live in a culture that says if you have a desire, you should be able to fulfill it. And so why in the world, why in the world would you fast? And and I have people that range all over the... um, the spectrum on how they respond when we talk about fasting. Some people get really agitated by it. Like, how dare you? It's a sin. If you're fasting, it's a sin. Um, Jesus says his disciples, his disciples didn't fast, right? Jesus' disciples didn't fast. Jesus said that. In fact, John's disciples and the Pharisees asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? And here's what he said. This is the part that we forget in this whole thing, right? Because we love to proof text why we don't want to be hungry. What he says is, when the bridegroom is with them, why would they fast? There will be a time for fasting. It is coming. He didn't say that they're not going to. What he says is, right now, we're we're in the wedding feast. Why would we do that? Right? And then he says this. Uh, John the Baptist neither eats nor drinks, and you call him a zealot. Jesus came and was both eating and drinking, and you call him a drunkard and a glutton. Um, Another sermon for another day. This whole concept of fasting is really funny. Like on the other end of the spectrum, we have people that are like super uber rich, rigid about it. And like the God does not approve, like the guy in the video, right? If, if you don't do this, God does not approve. God does not. Listen, um, I've done a lot of different kinds of fasting in my life. And I would say that once we understand fasting and its context, it, it, it'll help us to unravel and actually kind of maybe want more fasting in our life, not less. Okay. But for the right reasons. My first experience with fasting was um, when I graduated from high school. I had a really intense experience with the Lord in my senior year of high school and made a deal with God. Don't ever do that. Don't ever make a deal with God. You'll wind up in ministry. (laughs) Huh. Huh, Thad. (laughs) God, get me out of this one. I'll serve you forever. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Here I am. Uh, 20,000 years later. Um, So here's the thing. Uh, when I graduated, I decided to go into the ministry, went to Bible college, and when I left, my dad and I made this deal. I said, Dad, let's, let's try fasting once a week. Like, it's what they did in the Bible times. By the way, it's not a Jewish law. This was, came out of the book of Ezra. When they came back from Babylon in their pursuit of righteousness, they instituted a one-day-a-week fast as a practice to help stay walking the path. We'll talk about how that works and why it didn't work. Um, but they, they fasted once a week. So I told my dad, I was like, hey, let's fast once a week. Um, and he was like, okay. So I go off to Boise, and I actually started doing it, and dad didn't. <laughs> He's like, well, you know, I haven't really done it. And, and it was one of those things where, because 
we get this perception about fasting that you're supposed to like, man, when you fast, you feel so close to God. No, actually, when you fast, you feel like a steaming pile of cow dung. That's what you feel like, right? And, and so as I was at 18, at the ripe old age of 18, as I was fasting, it was, uh, uh, I don't feel good. Like, oh, uh, I don't feel good. Um, and so people would be like, what's the matter with you? I'm like, oh, I'm fasting. Which is super spiritual because none of my other Bible college zealots were doing it. Right? We weren't students. We were Bible college zealots. Uh, the Lord has since delivered me. <laughs> kind of. Still recovering. But the, I was the only one, and so I made it this big deal, right? That was my first experience of fasting. Now, over the years, fasting has taken on different nuances for me, but I kind of want to navigate today through this idea of what is fasting, what is it not, and then what is it, and then we're going to look at Bible passages, a couple of Bible passages to kind of think about um, fasting as it serves our walk with the Lord, okay? So... Um, let's first of all, let's look at what fasting is not. Fasting is not a magical incantation dust you sprinkle on your prayers to make them more powerful. He, here's, by the way, this is, this is taught often in churches and it's rooted in paganism. That when we pray, we change God's mind to our mind. And that when that doesn't work, then we fast as if we're grabbing God by the collar and saying, hey, I'm really serious. And God's like, oh, I wasn't going to answer your prayer, but now that you're fasting, I don't have a choice. We understand that that's really bad theology and it still keeps me in the position of God and God is still the bull with a ring in his nose that I lead around, lead around by a leash, right? He's the powerful one, but I get to tell him what to do. And if he doesn't answer it because I prayed the right prayers, I'm gonna fast and pray and that will make him do it. That is not what fasting is, okay? It's not what fasting is and that's important. It's not a way to... Ratchet up your prayers. God, I'm not playing. That's not what we're doing. All right, another thing. Fasting is not a show of piety to prove your religiosity and dedication to God. I'm fasting. Look at me, I'm fasting. You should, you should weep for me because I'm fasting. Right? You should weep for me because I'm problematic. But there's, there's, don't weep for me for fasting, right? Like that's not, that's not what fasting is. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? When you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites do who put on sackcloth and ashes and go around grieving. He says, when you fast, put on your nice clothes, wash yourself, put oil in your hair, slick, slick yourself up. That's, they use that. I don't know if in the Middle East, they still do this a lot, but there was a time when people would put like baby oil or olive oil in their hair to make it look all jerry curl. You know what I mean? Um, same kind of thing. Uh, they do that. To, it's, it's a way of cleaning themselves up. Like what he says is, don't, you don't need to let people know what you, when you're fasting. If you do it as a way to help people feel like you're religious, then you've missed the point entirely. 
Okay? Another thing fasting is not, it's not a vending machine transaction where God is forced to act. Fasting is not that. Okay, I'm fasting, pull the lever, and push the thing that I want, boop, and it falls out and I pick it out. Thanks, God. That is not what fasting is. Okay, one last thing that fasting is not. A great decision about physical care. Uh, For the record, I am not a medical doctor. Now, fasting may benefit us physically. It may. Um, That's not what we're talking about here. So after the service today, please do not come up to me and say, you know what else about fasting? It's so good for you physically. Like if you do that, I can't be held responsible for what I do. That's not our, it may be that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the science. I'm not a doctor. What I can tell you is our conversation is about how fasting fits into our core four. Does that make sense? That's where we're talking about fasting today. There's probably lots more to it than that. But I want us to think about this whole idea of the core four and, and making sure that we understand We've been over. We've been in this series on shaping faith. We've been talking about the the core four and the idea of text and prayer and worship and fasting. These these things that change us. These practices that actually make me internally different. Okay, that's what we want to concentrate on. We're not leveraging any of these disciplines to get God to do what we want Him to do. We're leveraging all of these disciplines to change me so that I'm more useful to what God already wanted to do. And these these practices are internal, but they're not individual. So we can read the Bible by ourselves, we can, but we can also study the text corporately, right? We do that. We do that, and that's that's knowledge. We gain knowledge that way. Then Prayer, we pray, we can pray individually. We can also pray corporately. We can worship individually, but obviously we worship corporately as well. Same thing with fasting. We can fast individually. We can also do a corporate fast. But understand this it is not about making God do what I want Him to do. All of these disciplines are about an internal shift in me so that I can become more useful for what God already wants to do. Are you with me? That's critical for us to grab a hold of because if we're not careful, what we can do is start trying to leverage any of these disciplines in order to try to make God do what we want him to do. And we're missing the point entirely. And you get really mad when it doesn't work. But here's the thing. If you're going to misuse spiritual disciplines, don't be upset when God says, I have no obligation to honor your wrong view of this. Right, like you can't get mad at that. By the way, interesting way, uh, time of year to think about fasting. Um, for those of us that come from a high church liturgical perspective, what what starts on Wednesday? Lent. Lent starts on Wednesday, right? We have Ash Wednesday coming up this week, and then we have the forty days of Lent leading into Easter, and uh, that's actually pretty neat. Um, uh, it's it's one of those opportunities where we kind of withdraw and um, give up something. A lot of people celebrate Lent by doing what? Fasting, by fasting from something. Um, 
That's a way for us to do that. And for those of us that didn't grow up in a liturgical tradition, we're like, why would you do that? So dumb. The problem with us Protestants is that we're just like, no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ. And what we miss is the tactile practices of, the value of the tactile practices of of religion. Over the years, these disciplines are things that people have done that actually have stood the test of time that are helpful to people in their own journey with the Lord. So don't just cast it aside and be like, ah, that's, that's for the super spiritual. No, actually, it's for anybody who calls himself a follower of Jesus. You have to, you have to wrestle with that. So there's this great book, um, great book, written several years ago by a guy by the name of Brian McLaren called Finding Our Way Again. And um, just for the record, I checked this morning, you can get it on Kindle right now for $4.50. Um, so don't jump on your smartphones now, but make a note of it. $4.50, you can get it on Kindle right now. Um, no, that's not true. You can get it for 99 cents. You can get it for 99 cents. I found it for 99 cents on Kindle. You're like, oh, I'm so getting it. Don't. Not right now. Get it after church. But in that book, he has some... Uh, things that he makes statements about what fasting is. And uh, I think they're particularly valuable uh, for us to explore as we try to grapple with what fasting actually is. So let's take a look at some of the quotes that he makes. Here's, here's one thing that he says in there. Nobody ever explained to me how fasting was supposed to work. The rules of the art of fasting weren't known explicitly to me or to the mentors who told me I should do it. Like this is... This is true in my experience as well. Everybody that thinks fasting is a good idea, they're like, what, they don't really grapple with it or understand it or put their heads around what, it, what is it supposed to do. And, and so what happens is in fasting, we're supposed to, we act like we're supposed to feel super close to God, but we don't. We feel terrible. We feel terrible in fasting. And that's actually the point. What fasting does for us is it forces us to come to terms with our carnal vulnerability. It forces us to come to terms with how fleshly we are. And that's really, really hard. That's really, really hard. Um, it, It reminds us It's not the point where we're able to actually work on that reality. It's the point that reveals it. Like fasting doesn't empower you, it exposes you. And that's significant. Okay, next quote from his book. I acknowledged my weakness in the face of impulses and cravings from my body. Like this this is what fasting does for us. It brings us to this point of I am weak. And especially if you're like um, fasting, if you, watch, if you watch videos on intermittent fasting, which is the big diet craze right now, and it works for a lot of people because it's got a really clean start time and stop time and you just eat in that window and then you don't eat the rest of the time, great? Uh, so uh, works for some people. And, and for those people, they're like, man, when I'm fasting, I said it's clarity of mind. Yeah, fast for two days. Here's, here's what happens. You turn your head and the world catches up. 
Like after a couple of days of fast, like it's, it's this thing that exposes and it reveals all kinds of things. If you're struggling with pride, fast. Like if you're struggling with addiction, it reveals addictions to food. It reveals, like we are a food addicted, go off sugar for a week. Go off caffeine for a week. See, and tell me you're not having headaches and withdrawals from, we're addicted. We are a food-addicted culture. Right? It, it exposes those things. It reminds us of how weak we really are. And that's why it's so important to us because it reminds us of how much we need God. And that's why in the Lenten season, it's such a valuable tool for us to be able to fast because we're fasting our way into the cross and then ultimately into the empty tomb. It reminds us how much we need that in our life. So fasting, it, it, I, I have to acknowledge my weakness in the face of my impulses, not like, yeah, when, you know, when you're full, right after you've eaten a really bad meal, every, you're like, I got to go on a diet. I do that. Like I eat a cake. <laughs> From Costco, Costco cake. Is like licking the face of Jesus. Come on, that. Am I wrong or am I right? Like, uh, uh, that's what I think heaven is going to taste like Costco cake. After I eat a cake, I'm like, oh man, I'm going on a diet. Well, it's really easy to say that because I'm all bloated and not feeling good from eating the cake, right? Wait a couple of days. Don't eat anything for two days and then see how you feel about going on a diet. Or is it all you can think about is, man, that Costco cake. That was a thing, right? The the next one is I practiced, this is the next quote from Brian, I practiced impulse control. We talked about this in the core four, right? So uh, text, what does text give us? Knowledge. I know, I know this is a sermon, but when I ask you a question, it's really good to know that we haven't wasted the last five weeks. Uh, text gives us knowledge. What does prayer do for us? It's surrender. It makes my will like God's will. That's the goal, right? What does worship do for us? Intimacy. What does fasting do for us? Self-control. It is so important for us if we're going to actually live God's best dreams for our own lives. We have to learn the power of saying no. This is a thing that makes the, the human beings unique in the rest of creation. There's this whole debate about what, why, are, why are humans so different than animals? Here's why. Because we have the ability to say no to our impulses. I have a, I have a dog. We have a border collie. Um, don't ever get one of those. <laughs> he is the sweetest dog, but is so smart. Like, so smart. And it's not like we live out in the country where we can run him for miles and miles. You know, the, the general rule is that a tired dog is a good dog, Right? We, we don't have space for that to really happen. Well, um, he figures out ways to get up on the counter and eat food. And he knows, he knows he's going to get punished for it. As soon as he gets caught, he knows he's going to get punished for it. 
but he just can't say no. Why? Because he's an animal. If a deer is walking out in the woods and it gets hungry, what does it do? It eats. Because that's what it does. That's what animals do. That's the thing that makes us different than the rest of creation, is that we have the power to say no in view of a greater good. Some of us are still doing okay with our New Year's resolutions, right? We've been working on them. 25 pounds down I am. Yeah. I'll find them again. Don't worry about it. But there, I, have, I have easily lost in my adult life 5,000 pounds. I just am really good at finding them. There's, there's this thing, there's this power of saying no that is so significant to us. And fasting helps us to develop that capacity so that when it's good for us to be able to reject our impulses for the greater good, then we're able to do that much more easily than if we wouldn't have fasted. It helps develop self-control for us. That's so important. It's so important for us. Uh, One more. Simultaneously, I asserted myself to the importance of something greater than impulse control. So it is about self-control, impulse control. It is about that. But it's also about the fact that this sense of fasting connects me to something greater than just my own desires and wants or lack of desires and wants. Like that there's a greater reason. There's a bigger thing going on around me that reveals that. And so um, this is really significant. Like fasting is, is fundamental for us because it helps develop in us the capacity to be able to say no to things that are temporary and carnal and yes to things that are of eternal value, of kingdom value, of, of Jesus value, okay? It helps us to do that better. So when you find yourself in a position where you're struggling to find God along the way, fasting is a great practice. It's a great practice, but not for the reasons that we often think about it. And so I want to I give you another uh, picture here, another word picture. Uh, Scott McKnight wrote a book uh, called Fasting. Uh, that book is um, $4.50 on Kindle right now on Amazon. You can get it $4.50 for Kindle. So uh, checked it this morning. I was sitting right out there in the parking lot. I looked it up just to make sure. It's $4.50 on Kindle. It's a relatively new book. And what Scott McKnight Uh, talks about is fasting as an ancient Jewish practice, kind of where did it come from and how did they leverage it? And he's got, he's super insightful. It's super insightful on this. So I want to throw up a diagram. Let's look at the diagram. There's three parts to fasting and how we in the Western world look at fasting is there's an event or circumstances And out of that event or circumstance, we feel like we need to fast. And then there's there's the movement of God. Here's how we think about it in our mind. Let's look at the second picture. This is how we think we we this is how we view fasting. Something happens, and because of that, we fast because we want to demand that God works. This is how we view it. Okay? Fasting as a biblical practice is exactly the opposite. Let's look at a, another. This is, this is how the Jews see fasting. Fasting isn't about a preferred future. Fasting 
is about a time of grieving and repentance over the past. It's, it's always tied in the Bible to two things, uh, grief and repentance or humility. Like it's always tied to those two things in the Bible. Not to God, we are, we are going to fast until you show up. And there have been times that I have, I have used those words, but, in the, but not in the sense of I'm obligating you to do something. It's God, I need to be focused and, and wrapped around enough that, that whatever, I can see what you're already trying to do. Like, have you ever heard the phrase, um, we were just there and then all of a sudden God showed up? Listen, what fasting teaches us is that God was always there, fully present, everywhere, all the time, always working. We're the ones that need to wake up. And when we wake up enough, when our internal being is adjusted enough, we begin to see what God was already up to. That's what fasting does for us. It helps us look in the rearview mirror, figure out what went wrong so that we can make adjustments so that the movement of God can, we can be a participant in what God's already doing. Does that make sense? It's, fasting is in reverse. It's not in forward motion, right? It's not in forward motion. So with that in mind, I want to look at Judges chapter 20. And, and I want to set the stage for Judges chapter 20. We're not going to read the whole chapter. I want to set the stage for it this way. Um, what's happening in Judges 19 is there's a Levite that is traveling through the land of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. So they, they come in and conquer the promised land and they get everything portioned out. And Benjamin has this chunk of land. The tribe of Benjamin has a chunk of land. And um, the priest, this Levite, is walking through there with his concubine. Now, before you say concubine equals love slave, it doesn't. What a concubine is, is a wife, legal wife, that has no covenantal um, inheritance in the patriarchal system. So it's not, it's not a love slave, right? That's not what, that's not what it is. It's, it's a legally binding wife that doesn't have an inheritance. You with me? So he has this concubine that's with him, and a bunch of the Benjamites um, attack her, and she winds up getting treated horribly, and she winds up dying. And so the Levite cuts her into 11 pieces and sends pieces of her all over the nation of Israel, saying, look at what's become of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites come together, and they inquire of the Lord, What's going on? And God says, send Judah in. Because Judah's big, powerful Judah. Big tribe. Lots of rah, rah, big, powerful Judah. Send them in to attack. They go in to attack. And 20,000 of Judah's soldiers get killed. Okay? We're going to go, pick up the story there. They, they go, or they, here's what happens. They go back and pray. Lord, should we go? We're like, did we hear you wrong? And God's like, yeah, go. We're going to pick up the story there. Then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin. And the second day, this time when the Benjamites came out from, from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites, all of them armed with swords. Now, hear me on this. Uh, 22,000 the first day, 18,000 the second day. Okay, look at the text. What is 22 plus 18? 40. You should pay attention to that. Because 40, the number 40 is always symbolic of a time of testing. 
So specifically connected to fasting, Jesus fasts 40 days and 40 nights, right? Um, Noah's in the ark, it rains 40 days and 40 nights. They're 40 years out in the desert. There's this 40, 40, 40 recurrence. It's always uh, symbolic of a period of testing. And the question is, what went wrong and how did they correct it? Okay. Then all the Israelites, the whole army went up to Beth El and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship and offerings to the Lord. Why? Why did they fast? They were grieving for what had just happened. Are you with me? Fasting is backwards. They're grieving over what just happened. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was there when Phinehas, Pinhas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, ministering before it. And they asked, shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites, or not? And the Lord responded, go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. Okay, wait, what? Why lose 40,000 soldiers before, like, if you were all, what, what? Here's what happened. Here's what fasting did for them. In this reflection, it took them away from their bloodthirsty need for retributive justice to grieving. It made their heart like God's heart. And once that happened, then they could be used for his agenda. Does that make sense? Fasting is about a reflection, a grief, humility, those kind of things. Here's one more from Esther. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do it quickly here. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes. Now let me give you the context. What's happened is Haman, so if, you're, if, you're, if you ever celebrate Purim, Haman, right? Haman. Haman had created an edict and allowed the king to, to sign it that said that on one particular day, all the Jews in Babylon were going to be killed. Mordecai, who's uh, important in the story of Esther, learns of all this and he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province in which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Why are they fasting? Because of what's already happened, right? Because an edict has been passed. Does that make sense? This is, this is how fasting works. And if you really want to get a picture of what fasting is supposed to do for you in your notes is Isaiah 58. And I'm not going to read it for you today, but I would really encourage you to go home and read that. And maybe in your home group this week, maybe Isaiah 58 is your passage that you really want to chew up and think about. Like this is about the kind of fasting that the Lord accepts. Right? It's a fasting. Fasting in reverse allows me to come to terms with the carnalness of how I dealt with this situation. And it develops within me the self-control to say no to those things so that I can say yes to what God already wants to do. And with that in mind, like fasting actually becomes kind of a cool practice to think about as fasting isn't one of those things that you necessarily have to fast once a week or whatever. You don't have, you just, don't, 
go, especially if you've, you're like, I'm never fasted. Let's fast 40 days like Jesus. Do not. Do not do that. If you feel like you're called to that, that's a different conversation. Make sure you go to a doctor and have them help you and develop a plan. And, you know, you can do whatever you need to do there. Uh, there are ways to do that. But right out of the shoe, like, that would be really dumb. Uh, but maybe fasting as a way to go. When I, when I, in my life, I come to a point where I'm like, oh, my goodness. I realize how self-centered I've been in some way how prideful I was, how carnal I was, how unconcerned for God's heart or for other people I was in this situation. Maybe spending a period of fasting, grieving that and saying, Lord, when you talk to the Lord, make, make my heart like your heart. Maybe that's the way that we can begin to overcome those places in our life. With that in mind, I want to move towards the Lord's table. And so we take communion every week. If you're new with us, we have an open table. What that means is anybody who wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to take communion, but we want you to hold the elements till the end, and we'll take them all together. Now, while they're passing that out, I want to work through three questions that we've developed for your home groups this week, and, uh, and this will be kind of cool. Question number one, what are your thoughts on fasting before this week's message? Have they changed? Are you willing to try anything new? Like if you're like, I knew everything about fasting. Um, he didn't teach me one thing. There was nothing interesting in what he had to say. Um, fasting would be really good for you. <laughs> if, <laughs> if that happens. And, and here's, the, here's the thing that I realize about my life is that Life isn't uh, static. Like, I don't achieve things in my life and then just keep them achieved, right? I, I, my father-in-law, when you ask him how he's doing, he's like, how you doing? His running joke is, well, once you hit perfection, you just kind of plane off. Um, works for him. Uh, it's not how life works, that like once you hit a point, you just kind of plane off. Like life ebbs and flows, and and there's times where I'm walking really close to the Lord and there's times where I feel very distant from him and, and there's times that situations happen in such a way and it catches me in such a way that it really exposes a piece of my heart that wasn't as submitted to the Lord as I thought it was, right? Those moments will happen for you the day, until the day you die. I believe that those moments are great opportunities for us to say, you know what, I want to spend a day or two or three fasting and just being with the Lord and grieving the fact that I still have that in my heart because I don't want that in my heart. What I want in my heart is to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, 100% of it, with all of my soul and with all of my strength. I want to love the Lord that way. And that, just, that situation just revealed that maybe, maybe I'm not there yet. And so maybe fasting is one of those things that you put in your pocket, uh, in your spiritual toolbox, to pull out when you need it, right? Uh, I do think I do think that I do personally. I have a a, a regiment of fasting, not every week, but there are certain times in the year when I will always fast. Like I will, at the beginning of every year, I will always fast for a few days. Um, 
just as a way to say, okay, Lord, it's a new year, fresh start, new ideas. I want to be yours, God. Um, you know, what do you have for me? What do you, what do you want of me? What do I need to become? Those kinds of wrestling matches. And that's usually, usually, and it's not always, it's usually like a three to seven day fast. Um, and I usually try to be pretty fluid with that and just kind of wait until I sense that the Lord's telling me to be done. The battle in that, if you're going to approach it that way, is to not let your flesh tell you that it's the Lord telling you to be done, right? And don't break your fast with Costco cake. <laughs> let me tell you a story. When we came down here to plant this church, um, <laughs> we fasted for seven days. I said I was going to do a 40-day fast. I, don't, I didn't know why. I was like, that's what Jesus did, so I can do it, you know. Um, Jesus also walked on water. <laughs> So pretty much we're not the same. God was so gracious to me, let me off the hook. Uh, there's a verse in the Psalms that says that God protects those he loves even when they're sleeping. I've modified that slow, slightly to say God protects those he loves even when they're stupid. Um, anyway, so we were fasting and there, there, uh, there is a sense of this just amazing like awareness of God, especially after day four or five, if you can get that far, this awareness of God and his kind of what he's doing and what he's, what he's been up to that I've been too clouded to see. Um, when that fast was over, I broke that fast with chips and salsa. Don't do that. Like bring it with like a banana or like a smoothie, something a little more gentle. Just toe up from the flow up. Yeah, don't do that. Be careful when you do that. And, you know, don't just go into it blind. Don't, don't go into it like, uh, this is my personality. Like the first race I ever ran, I was like, I need to get in shape. I'll run a marathon. It's just my personality. So I was like, I need to fast. I'll fast for 40 days. Like, it's, don't do that. Like, work your way into it. Start with fasting while you're sleeping. <laughs> you guys are like, I got this. I am pretty much just like Jesus. <laughs> All right, next question. What experiences have you had with fasting in the past? Has the practice been hard to understand? Did you feel guilty because you didn't feel godly? Right? In fasting, you're not going to feel godly, and that's okay. That's the point of fasting, is that reveals, it exposes to you the parts of you that still aren't submitted yet, right? And that's okay. We just, we realize how fragile and carnal and fleshly we still are. Last question. What places in your life is God inviting you to practice self-control? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's food, maybe it's time, maybe it's hobbies, maybe it's all kinds of things. That's a great question for our home groups this week. And I love the idea of talking about self-control as a segue into communion because if there was ever a time where a human being needed to exercise self-control, Jesus lays his life down, willing to absorb all of the things that he went through, including the cross, so that the empty tomb is not just for him, but for you and me. 
that greater good served by his self-control was incredibly valuable. And so this reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. The same way after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks for, thanks for your grace as we fumble along with understanding all these things and trying them on and feeling like we're not doing it right. And Lord, your, your law brings freedom. And so I pray, God, that as we explore this idea of fasting and understanding it as, as a time of grieving from the past, that we would find a new sense of freedom and, and that we would be um, revealed in new ways who we really are and who you really are and how much we need you. Thank you, Lord, for your provision in your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, if you enjoyed this message, make sure you check out the new podcast from our lead pastor, Aaron Couch, called A Better Conversation. Search for it on our website, iTunes, and the Google Play Store.